This morning we are going to focus on verse 10, which has as its conditional promise the same as verse 3. So eight Beatitudes, they are bookended by these two promises, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the poor in spirit, now we come to the persecuted, and not just persecuted for any reason, but for the sake of righteousness, in particular the righteousness of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is, unto them belongs, the kingdom of heaven. So how was 2021 for you? Was it a taste of the kingdom of heaven yet? Maybe a little bit, a little bit yes, a little bit no. Joys and sorrows, light and shadow, things obviously by God's grace, perhaps not as bad as they could have been, but undoubtedly hurt and pain and loss and and grief as well. What about 2022? How do you feel about that? You know, you're supposed to do like a New Year's sermon or something. You just didn't have have it in us this year, so we gave it to Rick last week. You're supposed to get everybody amped up, you know, and cheer and rah-rah in the new year and let's be excited. And I, I feel like for a lot of us, new year, what? What day is it? Are you even ready for 2022? Maybe a few of you are excited. You've got some big plans. God bless you if you have a big trip planned. May the Lord be with you in that. You know, I was asking my wife about this recently. Like, are you excited for 2022? She's like, I am, but I just kind of feel indifferent. I feel indifferent as a manifestation of just feeling a little bit tired. I'm thankful. I'm happy. I'm doing better than I deserve, but I'm weary. Any of you feel weary at all? Well, this week as I was studying the Beatitudes, the way of blessedness, not temporary circumstantial happiness, but blessedness, living in Christ, with Christ, under and with his love for you, for me, in these kingdom realities. I was trying to kind of get myself going about the new year. And I came across this quote from a friend of mine, Carlos Garcia, a friend from Albuquerque, and then up here eventually, and he posted this. He said, going into 2022, I want this to be my theme. It's a quote from Martin Luther. The highest of all God's commands is this, that we ever hold up before our eyes the image of his dear and beloved son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He must daily be to our hearts the perfect mirror. Interesting, mirror, what's reflected, in which we behold not only how much God loves us, but also how well. Bring your worst, 2022. Bring your best, come what may. In his infinite goodness, As a faithful God, he has grandly cared for us in that he did not withhold from his children, you and me, his dear and only son. So do not let this mirror and throne of grace be torn away from before your eyes. And I read that and I said, yes, that's what I want. That's what I'm longing for. Whatever's going to come, The good and the bad, the ups and the downs, let my eyes see the mirror of the goodness of God through the grace of Christ, that not only he loves me, but how well he loves me. And even in sorrow and pain and suffering, he is faithful and will prove himself 
time and time again faithful. He doesn't get tired of you. Just like we get tired of everybody. Man, you get tired of the people closest to you. You can get tired of yourself. Some of y'all need to take a vacation from yourself. And the voice is in your head. God never tires of us. And this is, as it were, the reality of the blessed life, the kingdom life, the kingdom come. You know, to, to channel Fernando Ortega in that wonderful song, just give me Jesus. You know, give me the freedom and the rest of being known by and knowing Jesus, the sovereign Lord of the whole universe, who is also the lover of my soul. The kingdom of heaven. And I think the world we live in, whether it knows it or not, whispers of Eden, whispers of the garden on its soul, the law written on its heart, pines for the same thing, which is why people, us included, spend so much time and energy and effort trying to build up these little mini kingdoms because we too are longing most deeply for the kingdom of heaven, attempts to bring heaven to earth. And there's a lot of good ways to do that. Eating a delicious New Mexican food meal with people you love, good food, good drink, good laughter, that's a taste of the kingdom of heaven. These are good things. The problem is that we so often, and the world without Christ, can only make those good things ultimate things. And yet that is the great desire of, of man. It's a universal truth all over the world in all demographics and you know, all, all income brackets and all, all races and ethnicities. People are longing for and searching for the blessed life, the kingdom of heaven, the very promise that bookends the entirety of the Beatitudes. But I know this as well. Nobody wants to be persecuted. Nobody wants to be persecuted, to be weak, to be lowly, to be oppressed and unliked, to be a loser. And as I studied this text this week, uh, the temptation is strong on a weekly basis to make these things other, out there, abstract, the world, those people, when we too are those who need the gospel of the grace of Jesus as much as anyone, his children gathered Oh, man, this is me. Ouch. I don't want to be persecuted. Even for the right reasons. Even for righteousness' sake. I, I, I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to suffer. I don't want pain. I want comfort. I want, you know, Maslow's hierarchy from top to bottom. Not only shelter over my head and the New Mexican food of heaven on my table, but I want it all the way down to, you know, emotional stability, financial stability, and the like. I work hard to avoid persecution. In fact, I'm pretty sure I even avoid talking about my faith and certain relationships for that sake. At times, I don't want to, sorry, confessing to you, I too am a sheep like the rest of you. What else does the shepherd show me? Uh, that I may try hard to avoid persecution, uh, but the world is hard. On this side of heaven, long though we may to create the kingdom of heaven, here it is now by the grace of God, but not yet. There still uh, remains death and taxes. The world is beautiful. It really is. So as Christians, we have to be careful, right? Ooh, the world, go away, run away, top of the hill, bury my head in the sand. No, we're to be in the world and not of it. 
to love it, to make all things new, to be redeemers in this world because our redeemer has redeemed us. And yet that beautiful world is also broken. So I think we find the kingdom of heaven in our lives, in our relationships, in our needs and brokenness and insecurity and our fears, in the things and the people we so deeply long to fix and change but still can't, even though we read the three books about how to do it and it didn't work. The kingdom of heaven seems elusive. The temptation of the evil one then is two things. I already alluded to one, flight. Just flee the pain. Flee relationships, flee suffering. Take care of yourself, get yours. It's too much, you can't handle it. The other option is just as disastrous and that is to fight. Especially as Christians to find ourselves not as the blessed ones who are persecuted for righteousness, but instead self-righteous and always fighting and culture warring against everyone who disagrees with us. And yet when this persecution comes, and hopefully it comes for the right reasons, for righteousness sake, I so often forget. You know, because we rely on all of our stuff and all of our things and generally being okay and good and healthy most of the time, we forget that, that this is still a broken world and that spiritual warfare is real. <laughs> it's so funny. I, I tell you guys this story. You know, a couple, a couple weeks ago, we went to Schlotzky's for a sandwich. That was Pastor John's choice, okay? The dirty Schlotzky sandwich with that red sauce. And there is nobody in the whole restaurant. Okay, we sit down, we eat, it's me, John, and Sandy, and all of a sudden, a guy comes in, and he sits right next to us. Now, I don't want to live in fear in this day and age, but I mean, sir, could you have chosen one of the other 19 empty booths? No, right next to us. Then he proceeds to start coughing in our direction, turns on his phone and a video up to volume 11. And here's this guy, and you know, so John, it was, our personalities were on full display. John's like, okay, I'm out of here, throws his mask on, safety. Me, full New Mexican, I'm like, I'm about to try to fight this guy, even though I'm really scared, so I'm not going to, and I'm a pastor, but you know, you're doing that like New Mexican flex thing, like why you can't pass anyone on Cerritos because you might offend their entire family. It's that deal. (laughs) Sandy though, God bless Pastor Sandy. He's like, that's it, we need to pray, it's spiritual warfare at the Schlotzky's. I was like, oh, Sandy, thank God. You're like a true Christian among us. He was just like, we need to pray. Oh, my Lord. But I mean, I forget. I'm slow to pray. I'm slow to remember that the spiritual war is real. Even even though Jesus is one and he has us, I forget. Then I start to feel like something is wrong, and that goes in two directions. Dangerous. One, something's wrong with me, but I don't like that. Shame. Then I internalize shame and turn around and blame God. Something's wrong with God. I messed up. God's not here. This hurts and doesn't feel good. God feels distant. And right in those moments is, I believe, where the the evil one just has a field day with us. You know, this shouldn't be happening to you. Oh, and I guess God doesn't care. Lies, lies. The persecution will come. So how should we understand this then as blessedness? That's the question of the beatitude. Blessed? I mean, do you just, can you just stop and just see how ridiculous that is for a second? Just think about yourself as a 21st century American who generally has your life pretty buttoned up for the most part. And if you were sitting there at the foot of the mountain and heard this, 
I mean, it is meant to provoke within us deep questions and doubts. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. So what is Jesus getting at? Well, as with all the Beatitudes, and I love the beauty of Jesus for you and me, it's too good to be true. It really is just too good to be true. As, as John just prayed, all, all, the other, you know, all the other ways to God in the world are ways in which you work and have to work really hard and hope that the hard work that you're working really hard is sufficient. And even if it's sufficient, you hope that you got the right God on the right day who kind of likes you. What is Jesus getting at here as he provokes us with this beatitude? As usual, he is, he is turning the powers and principalities of the world and our propensity to self-protection on its head. Here is a new way. Here is the way of the kingdom. You will have true blessing, true life, true joy, even in suffering as you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Even as you come face to face with persecution, you will be blessed. And so I want to see along those lines three things this morning. Here they are so that the few of you who work at the lab can write them down and then try to follow my weird postmodern style, all right, of Jackson Pollock. We will face real persecution. Yes, you in this room who love Jesus. We will face real persecution. We aim to face it rightly. That is for the right reasons. Real persecution, right persecution, and this, of course, leads us to our, our great hope that in persecution, we have a Redeemer who reigns. So first, we will face real persecution. For those who desire the kingdom of heaven and call themselves Christians, little Christ, who believe in the grace of God and receive it as a free gift, persecution is not an option. So what are we talking about here? Because it can take many forms. It's not always the extreme form of one being burned at the stake. It can be subtle. It can be minor. It can come in the form of an insidious whisper. But simply this, persecution is a bias or action of hostility against one who claims to be a Christian for the sake of Christ. And I'm not saying that there aren't other people groups and, and, and religions that don't face persecution, but this is the persecution that we're referring to. Bias and action of hostility against Christians for the sake of, or the name of, or their belief in Yeshua, Jesus, as the Christos, the anointed one who fulfills all of cosmic history in his perfect plan of redemption. Now, why is there persecution? I mean, especially for Christians. Christians, we know, of course, because we can all look each other in the eyes, can be hypocrites, can struggle with sin, can have all kinds of issues in our lives. But man, if you're, if you're loving God and loving your neighbor, I mean, what is there really to persecute? Why? Why, from the earliest days of the church, and including Jesus himself, have Christians faced intense and severe, oftentimes bodily, persecution? I mean, we live in an age of tolerance, right? And that means that whatever I believe, as a Christian pastor in 2022, everyone's going to agree with that and think I'm cool and tolerate it, right? And they're not going to question it at all because they love tolerance and I love tolerance and we're all just going to get along and like each other, right? But tolerance, as a part of our social contract, 
is functionally a way for certain people to maintain the power they want about the beliefs that they have exalted into a place of rightness. So you will be tolerated indeed until you say something crazy. Like, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Or Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And, and it's only by grace. And I'm, I'm humble and I'm undeserving, but no one comes to the Father except through him. What's revealed in the vestiges of tolerance is actually, in the end, a power play. Now, Rome was masterful at this. The hearers of the Sermon of the Mount would have known this well, right? You have the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. Let's all just get along. Yeah, until you say something or do something that threatens us. And then peace and smiles turns to, you know, oppression, suppression, and bow. This is exactly what got Jesus in trouble with both Rome and the religious, which is why I love Jesus. Because he wasn't going out to pick fights. But he was loving so lavishly, he was so unwilling to compromise the gratuitous love of God for the needy and the undeserving, but also the declaration to Rome, this little tiny Jewish carpenter guy standing up to Caesar saying, actually, I'm the king, and the kingdom of God is coming, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's why they tried to cancel Jesus. And as Christians, little Christ, we should be equally annoying to power, the power of the world, and in the same ways. Not annoying because we talk too much and yell at people and demand that we're right, but annoying in the way that we love the widow and the orphan, that we move toward the needy and the broken and the undeserving. Can you imagine Jesus, who claimed to be a rabbi, hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? And going over to people's house to feast and, and, and drink and enjoy and laugh and talk about God? And this guy who claimed to be the son of God let a woman come into the house, a known prostitute in the city, break a very expensive bottle of perfume over his feet, which the disciples remind Jesus could have been used for, you know, repainting the drywall. And he lets this woman anoint his feet with oil. I mean, that is beyond annoying to the powers that be both in the world and the powers of self-righteousness and morality. It's interesting. What did they accuse the early Christians of in Rome? The accusation wasn't in particular that they didn't like Jesus and Yahweh. They actually accused them of being atheists because these early Christians, they were super nice. They were good citizens in the Roman Empire. Christians, the kind of people you would want to have be citizens in your empire. There was just one problem. When those festivals rolled through a few days a year, they would not bow the knee to Caesar. And folks, th this is the kind of persecution that we are going to and do face in our own day. You may be the nicest person around. But at some point, when you're dealing with someone who ultimately has their self, their life, their identity, and anything apart from Christ... And you say, no matter how nicely, that Jesus is the only way, buckle up. Which is why the why of persecution really boils down to a spiritual war. The kingdom of God is breaking into all kingdoms and all nations on earth, and it is challenging our idols. It is challenging our idols, mine, autonomy. 
I get to make my own way. I get to be my own God. What I think and feel and believe is most true about me right now is the truth. That's the great idol of America in its late stage decadence in 2022. Expressive individualism. The way that I choose to express myself as an individual is indeed what is most true about me in the world. So where do we find real persecution? Well, here I think it's just good to remember that this isn't some sort of past problem or reality, but it is indeed present day. And it's not distant from us, like some fourth cousin that you haven't met, but this is a reality for much of our family, our family in Jesus around the world right now. I, I love Santa Fe. I mean, how could you not? Even though there's some things, right? But we love Santa Fe. Love New Mexico. God bless her. She's finally 100 years old. Liberated from Texas, from Mexico, from Texas, you know, all the way back to creation or whatever. And I am thankful that I was born and raised, by the way, in this country. Praise the Lord and thank you, Jesus. But we should remember that the solidarity that we share with our brothers and sisters in faith around the world, who indeed, some of whom this morning are having to put their money where their mouth is when it comes to believing in Jesus, that we are a global church. We're a global city, but we are a global church, and persecution is alive and well in our day and age. Now, there are extreme examples, and I would encourage you to read, you know, The Voice of the Martyrs or Fox's Book of Martyrs. Those stories are humbling and harrowing, you know, to hear of families that are drugged to the side of the road, and it's, you know, confess that the state is God and Jesus is not, or you'll die, and they go down dying, singing Amazing Grace. Those are amazing stories. But those are extreme examples. Persecution is real for us as well. There's two sides of a ditch here. One side is, you know, I have my life pretty easy and so there's no persecution. At which point I would just humbly as your pastor ask, if you're never ever persecuted for righteousness sake, that may be the Lord shining the light on another problem. But the other side of the ditch is that everything is persecution. Your opinions are persecution. Your political viewpoints that not everybody agrees with all the time are persecution. And that's not at all what the Bible is talking about. So it's real, but it's neither of those things. In that sense, then, we should expect real persecution for righteousness' sake primarily because God's word tells us so. Now, Paul's writing to Timothy, young Timothy, church in Ephesus. He's a young pastor. He's got a lot of insecurities. I don't relate to him at all. Very glad he's in the Bible. And Paul says something to, sec- to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, Timothy, look, I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconia. They tried to stone me to death. The, the, the religious people tried to stone me to death because they didn't like I was preaching the freedom of God's grace in the way of Jesus. But they also tried to kill him because he came in and disrupted several economies that were built upon and predicated upon the building of these little idol statues. And Paul goes, you don't need statues anymore. You have a direct relationship with God the Father through the one and only mediator, Jesus the Son. And Paul says, the Lord rescued me every time doesn't mean there wasn't suffering or pain. It means God was faithful. And then he says these words to Timothy. He says, everyone who desires, everyone, 
And this church is being, excuse me, this letter is being read aloud to the church. Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Which brings us to John 15. So again, we shouldn't see everything as persecution. But we shouldn't miss the fact that this is real. Jesus says in John chapter 15, the upper room, he's with his disciples. They're fearful. They don't want to be persecuted. They still think he's going to be the king that they expect and overthrow the empire. Here's what Jesus says. A servant, a doulos, a slave, is not greater than his master. If they hated me and persecuted me, they will you. And I think it's hard for us to to grip that. Because it's hard for, you know, Christians in general, in this place in general, to, to be losing power. We've held power in some way, shape, or form for a long time. And yet, are we foolish enough to think that if we come and preach the way of the cross of Jesus Christ in the face of Nimrod and Caesar and, and Babylon, that everyone's just going to be cool with that? And there won't be persecution? And I love the fact how we all wear these like little crosses around our neck. Some of y'all have some really pretty ones. A little cross, a little gold cross. I've seen a few big ones and there's like some back issues, so be careful. All right. But this would be no different than if you were just wearing around your sweet, pretty little neck, little gold-plated, little diamond-studded, you know, pretty little electric chair. Isn't that cute? Oh, well, come look at my new guillotine that I got from the Loofs. I mean, this is the scandal of the cross. This is the scandal of grace. This is why Caesar and Babylon cannot abide by the cross. That you completely need God's help to be saved, and he has completely done everything to save you through his death and resurrection, and that's it. You don't bring anything. You don't add anything. You don't make sacrifices. You don't bow before the state. You don't put your stuff on the altar and hope it's good enough. It's already good enough. God's already satisfied because he didn't withhold his son. And I see this in my life. They say about millennials that they're the generation of narcissists. That's probably true. Um, And it's probably not. Because every generation is dealing with the same stuff, which is a heart that is sick with sin. But I I see it in my own life that there's so much cheap grace, so much easy believism. I read the words of Jesus, take up your cross and follow me. And with this eighth beatitude, we should allow that to to challenge us again. We will face real persecution. And that is why we aim to face right persecution. Persecuted for the right things, Jesus says, for the right reasons, for the sake of righteousness. The sake of the righteousness of God. This is a a huge word, (laughs) righteousness. The character of God revealed as holy and perfect and righteous and his covenant justice, his truth in action to bear upon the world. Righteousness. Perhaps it would be good to just consider for a second what it is not to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. The first thing it's not is you and me being jerks. 
or demanding or needing to be right or super spiritual or extra religious. It doesn't mean a lack of mercy for the sake of, quote, the truth as we understand it so perfectly. Not majoring on the minors. Basically, it means never going online to have another debate again. <laughs> you know, what's interesting about this persecution for righteousness, and I think a caution to us as God's children who are not gathered, let me be clear, we're not, we're not being gathered here to just be hammered with the law. No, there's God's grace in this. His kindness leads us to these warnings to repent of our own self-righteousness so that we don't become some kind of self-righteous holy huddle while all those people out there need to you know, get fixed and then they can come in. You see, you have to understand the Pharisees themselves, they, they certainly thought that this beatitude applied to them. They were the ones who were being persecuted for righteousness' sake. And they were about a thousand times more religious than the best religious person in this room. They were striving to keep every one of God's laws, and they added laws to the laws, and then they strove to keep those laws, and then they were very quick to point out when other people were failing to keep those laws so that they were the ones who could bring in the kingdom of heaven. Now, hear the gospel. Jesus says to them, not in a cruel way, but in an honest way, you are whitewashed tombs. The outside is as clean as it could be, but the inside is death because you have come to believe that somehow your persecution and your righteousness has anything to do with all the things you can do for God and you're completely blind to the fact that God's plan is to do everything you need for you. That's why in our day and age, as one scholar puts it, Robert Farrar Capone is a brilliant New Testament scholar. That's why in our day and age, grace doesn't sell. Listen to this quote. Grace doesn't sell. This grace, it's too good to be true. You gotta do something. You can hardly even give it away because it works only for losers. This is why when the gospel spread across the empire, it spread with, with fire and fervor among those who knew their need, who knew their weakness. It only works for losers, and no one wants to stand in their line. A world of winners will buy caseloads of moral advice. Go see how big the self-help section is at the bookstore. Grosses of guilt-edged prohibitions. What can I do? What can I not do? How far can I go? All that. Skids of self-improvement techniques and whole truckloads of transcendental hot air. Sounds like this guy's visited Santa Fe. But it will not buy the free forgiveness of God. It will not buy the free forgiveness of God because that threatens to let the riffraff, those who are deemed unjust, undeserving, lazy, and weak into the very riches of the supper of the Lamb. So to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, here's what it means for us. This is our goal in 2022, that we would only ever be persecuted for the gospel. Let the gospel be the only thing that offends. 
you're welcome to have your opinions. I know you've read a lot of articles. I know you think you're really smart. Me too. That's great. That's awesome. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. But when it comes to us living in the power of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, in this city and in the world, let the gospel be the only thing that offends. And when it is only the gospel which has reached us that is offensive, Paul says, this is like pouring hot coals on the head of the enemy. Because if this gospel is too good to be true, then we are, in the story that Jesus told, we are with those who have been loved much, and therefore we love much. And we love in ways that should make our world simply go, who are these weirdos? Honestly. What child is this? What God is this? What savior is this? That there are people who have achieved and those who have not, the rich, the poor, ethnicities, backgrounds, all gathered together saying, I can't save myself, but Christ has saved me, and now I want to go live my life under persecution because I know that in that is the blessing of the kingdom of heaven. Perhaps this is what helps us answer the last question. What does it mean then to live with a redeemer who reigns? How can we be encouraged and challenged with this reigning redeemer, Jesus Christ? What does it mean that that when persecution comes for righteousness sake, we can face anything because we're free. Like you're so free. Whatever happens in the news, (laughs) whatever happens in the city, whatever happens in your life, you are free because of Christ. What does it mean then to live under the rule and the reign of this Redeemer? Another way to ask the question is this, and now it gets really radical, even more so than your bedazzled, you know, electric chair. What do we do with our persecutors? I'll tell you what you do, because you're smart, and you're crafty, and you know how to lawyer up, and I see a few in this room who could win it every time. If you are persecuted by somebody, You better start planning your vengeance now. I mean, you've made the list, right? Here's the 48 reasons you're right and the equal 48 reasons they're wrong. What do we do with our persecutors if the gospel of this grace is true and it's too good to be true for us? What does it mean to our persecutors that it would be too good to be true for them? And this is the kind of stuff that made the religious people pick up stones to kill Jesus. Listen to this, Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, love your brother and hate your enemy. Obviously. What kind of idiot are you loving your enemy? You can't do that. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt if you go out there and start loving your enemies. No, 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 Jesus says. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Don't plan your vengeance. Fall on your knees, bow before the king, and pray. And in that is the power. Romans 12, the Apostle Paul, after giving this magisterial vision of just the scandalous power of God's grace, he says to the readers, bless those who persecute you. Well, now it's worse. This is getting stupid. Because it's one thing to pray for the people that are persecuting you really quickly, under your breath, grumbling. 
It's a whole other thing to say, not only do you not deserve my love, but you are a persecutor of me for unjustified reasons, and I am going to bless you. In your persecution to me, I am going to give you a gift. Oh, you're persecuting me? Cool. Here's a gift card. Why don't you take your wife on a date night? What would happen if we lived like that in the power of the Spirit of God? What would people in the city do? They wouldn't, they wouldn't even know. They wouldn't have category for it. Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who revile you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, not because you have deemed a person worthy of those things, but because we know in our unworthiness that it was Christ himself who was persecuted for us to the very end. And in his persecution, not only do we find the forgiveness of our sins, but the purpose and the power that we need to live this blessed life. Which is why in 2022, we come back to the first quote. Do not let this mirror the mirror which lifts our heads and points us to all that Jesus is for us and now through us for the city. Do not let this mirror and throne of God's grace be torn away from before your eyes. For blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for messing with us. Thank you for messing with our own love for power and comfort and self-protection. Thank you for making us the ones who wear around our neck, as it were, instruments of death because in your death, you put death itself to death. And in your death, we die to sin and we are born again to new life by your spirit. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And because of that, because we are connected to that power, your power, Jesus, by your spirit, would you make us the radical, the wild, the scandalous ones for which there is no earthly category among powers and principalities? Make us the ones who bless and do not curse, who pray for our persecutors, who forgive even as you have forgiven us. Lord, our only hope to do that is the power that only you can provide through your word, through songs, through prayer, through the feast that we come to at this table. Jesus, I pray as we come to your table that by your spirit, you would connect us in a real spiritual way to the reality of all your promises. Lord, would you maybe even put some people on our minds who have been persecutors, how might we creatively seek to bless them? It almost seems too good to be true. But so it is with your love. Father, you did not spare your own son. That's how deep your love runs for us. May we taste and see how good it is as we come now. In Christ's name, amen.